Good evening. Um, today's readings are taken from Matthew 4 and Colossians 1. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out for, to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now the second reading from Colossians. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the, to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone full mature in Christ. To this, I stren to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Well, good evening, everybody, and it's a great pleasure to start our brand new series, Come, Follow Me, Called by Jesus. Uh, my name is John Forsyth. I have the great privilege of being the vicar here at St. Jude, and a very warm welcome. If you are new or visiting us here, we are delighted that you can be with us as we open God's Word together. Now, we have our fantastic uh, prop up here which says, Come, follow me. Now, who knows who says that? This is, this is the non-rhetorical part of the sermon. Other parts will be rhetorical, but this part. Do you know who says that? Jesus. No, you'd think so, right? you think it'd be Jesus. Uh, influences. <laughs> right? Influences. And what are they seeking to influence? Everything they can about you. What, what to dress, what to wear when you go to see Harry Styles. Uh, what music to listen to, what food to buy, what food not to buy. Our culture is wrapped up in this idea that all of us need someone to follow. We need someone to say to us, come follow me. 
And it's just worth recognising as we come to this series on discipleship, that discipleship in itself is not a uniquely Christian thing, it's a cultural culturally broad challenge that we face in the sense that there are always role models and people that we want to follow and if it's not Jesus, I like how we all said that by the way, that was actually the right answer uh, I like how we said that, if it's not Jesus you will follow something else it's not that there's a neutral thing and then Jesus our hearts will long to follow something or someone else and the core of scripture is, as you so rightly put it, come and follow me, says Jesus so what, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to kind of do a broad brushstroke uh, uh, sermon this evening. By the way, the, the word disciple wasn't even unique in Jesus' time. It was used uh, quite commonly in the ancient world simply to mean a follower of a teacher. Someone who follows someone in order to learn about the best way to live or the right way to live. And we get this idea from our first reading in, in Matthew 4, where Jesus calls his first disciples. And notice the language that he says. He says to, to Simon and to Andrew, come, follow me. Not just come and hang out with me or come, I want to teach you a few things. Then he says, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So this sort of intrinsic to this idea of discipleship is this idea of following. It's actually crucial to understanding what discipleship is. Now, we, we kind of get the idea of following. I have 200, I checked this afternoon, 276 people following me on Insta. I realise that's not impressive, by the way. I'm not, this is not a boast. This is, a, and this is not a call for you to follow me. You, can, you, you do what you want. I'll be excited to see whether it does bump up. But that's not what I'm preaching this evening. Uh, but it's more than just out of interest. When Jesus speaks of following, not just out of, oh, I wonder what photos he'll post as he preaches to the 5,000. It's much closer in a way to really being a student. A student, which many of you will have a first-hand experience of. And so a disciple in the biblical world is someone who not, not just learnt from their teacher, their master, but also actively imitated the person, copied what they would do, wear what they would wear, follow the life of their master. That's what a disciple would do. Uh, it's much closer to what we would call cloning, <laughs> seeking to become a little version of your master. And we actually see this in the Great Commission where Jesus makes this great and bold proclaim uh, that he is someone to be followed. It's, we are to follow Jesus, not just because he says so, but because of who he is. He says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven has been given, uh, on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make all disciples. In other words, because of who I am, because I am the one who, in whom all authority on heaven and earth rests, therefore go and make disciples. And he'll go on to say there are two kind of key aspects to this initial discipleship making. Baptising, that is, telling people about Jesus, that they may turn from, from evil and follow him, a sign of regeneration. But also teaching, instructing people on how to live as disciples of Jesus. So discipleship has those two aspects. Preaching the gospel that people may become Christians and then growing them as Christians. And what's amazing is, when you think about it, God actually invites us to be part of the process. He calls you not just to be a disciple of Jesus, amazing, but he says, actually, I want you to be someone who disciples other people. 
It's a big responsibility. But don't let the fact that you're young, or in my case, youngish, put you off this enormous responsibility. We give responsibilities to 22-year-olds to fly aeroplanes in the Air Force. You can do this. This is a big responsibility, but God will, uh, God will equip you for it. We are joining God's work in making disciples. Uh, just a, a little note too, I often refer to Christians as people who don't just believe in Jesus, but actually follow Jesus. Because I think it, it sharpens our idea of what we're doing. It's not just an intellectual assent to some ideas or some theologies. It's saying, no, I actually want to follow the set of life and entrust my life in Jesus. I want to follow him. And church, by the way, is ground zero for discipleship. This is where it happens. And so I've got five principles from one Colossians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, uh, looking at discipleship. Now, what's really amazing is, do you know Paul never, ever uses the word discipleship or disciple ever in any of his writings, right? But yet he knew an awful lot about discipleship. So five things, we've got them there on the inside, the heart of discipleship, the means of discipleship, the goal of discipleship, the cost of discipleship, and the power of discipleship. The heart of discipleship. What is at the heart of discipleship? It's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. That's at the heart of discipleship. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, says Paul. He being Jesus. In other words, first and foremost, that's what we're on about when we're doing discipleship. It's actually firstly about Jesus before it's about us. Uh, there are two big themes in Colossians. One is... Jesus Christ as the supreme Lord of all creation. And secondly, Jesus Christ is the supreme Redeemer of all creation. And it's in that context that Paul says, he is the one that we proclaim. This wonderful news to both the lost and the saved. In other words, we proclaim the gospel to win followers of Jesus, new disciples, and we proclaim the gospel to grow followers of Jesus. You don't outgrow the gospel. I became a Christian once. I don't need to know the gospel anymore. I'm so excited you've become a Christian. But you need to keep coming back to the gospel because that's the way we grow as Christians. Baptizing and teaching, says Jesus. Now, what's the temptation here? Well, I'm going to try and give you little temptations at the end. The temptation, I think, is can, can be here to proclaim ourselves rather than Jesus. Outwardly, we may proclaim Jesus. We make to make sure that inwardly, our motive is really to make much more of him than of us. Because there is a great danger of pride here. I love it when people want to be like me. It's, it's very flattering, isn't it? Oh, you're such a nice guy, John. You know. No one's ever said that, but I'm sure if they did, it'd, it'd feel nice. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better if you said, I, I love it when people want to be like Christ rather than people like me. Let's be careful that we don't, in this process of discipleship, put ourselves at, at the heart. I think the other temptation is also to proclaim good deeds rather than to actually preach the gospel. We always use words because it's, it's an announcement, it's a declaration. The gospel is not do good, that's good advice. The gospel is good news, it's an announcement. 
that the authority that Jesus has as Lord and Saviour and King is over everything. And so I wonder at times whether we are a little shy to proclaim the gospel because it bangs up against the values of our world. It says, Jesus is king, repent and believe. And so we need to keep Jesus at the heart of our discipleship. Well, secondly, the means of discipleship, and that is teaching and modelling the truths from God's word. In verse 28, it says, We proclaim Christ by admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. In other words, teaching God's word is crucial to discipleship. We train those who are discipling others in the word of God to show them how their lives are to be lived in order to glorify God. And that only works, by the way, if you have your Bible open. It's one of the, the catches. It only works, the Bible only works if it's open. Or your app is open. I know you've got Bible apps, right? Looking and engaging with God's word as we seek to, to encourage each other. And what a great idea this is. You've got a great dad joke there, um, Larissa. I thought it was fun. I stole my material. The bookmark on Mark. What a brilliant idea. So you are opening God's word regularly. It only works, by the way, when we have our Bibles open when we preach. We want to give you the Bible text. We want to have your Bibles open when people from the front are preaching. So you can say, is, is that what God's word really says? It's the heart of what we do as a church. And notice too that our responsibilities in this passage is not just to teach in the right way, but also to warn people who are going the wrong way. Out of love for those people, we must not be silent when we see behaviour that is against what the Scriptures say. We teach and train with all wisdom. Now we do this gently, of course, not arrogantly. We do this in a way, checking our own lives first, seeking His wisdom, Spending time in the word and prayer. That is at the heart of discipleship. And disciples, by the way, don't just model by teaching. Uh, sorry, uh, don't just disciple through teaching. They do it through modeling. That is living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, following Jesus is taught and caught. You see it in action. Uh, and we see this all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, the idea of memorising scripture, but also setting it in the daily routines and rhythms of life. Not just knowing scripture, but seeing it lived out day by day and moment by moment. For example, Psalm 119 talks about the need for learning and internalising the law of God, while Deuteronomy 6 says, discuss the law in everyday life as you kind of go around your house and talk about it, integrate it with your life, live it out. And Paul often encourages his readers to imitate him. 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow my example, says Paul, as I follow the example of Christ. Philippians 3.17, Join one another in following my example, brothers and sisters, carefully observing those who live according to the pattern we set for you. And my experience in church for many years has been that so much of discipleship happens not just through the program teaching, yes, that's really important, or training courses, crucially important, 
but it's so often in unplanned conversations. A chat over dinner, a conversation at uni over a coffee, talking about life, talking about ministry, talking about the things you're wrestling with. In other words, it's a relational modelling of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this is why it's really important that we, we look at our own character and our own behaviour when we think about discipleship. It's not just head knowledge. You can quote the scriptures. That's great. That's really important. But do you live it out? Do you live it out? And the key place where this happens is at church. And we see lots of biblical examples. Uh, Titus 2, older women training younger women. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, Paul's training Timothy, discipling to train others. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4 talks about a father discipling or training his children. In other words, it's deeply relational. It's not just informational. And so what this means is if you've been a Christian for a little while, you have a responsibility to live out the Christian life, not just because it pleases God, which it does, but to be a model for someone else at church. If you've come from another country and now live in Melbourne, it's three or four years in your degree, what a wonderful model you have for someone who is new to our country. How, How do you live when you don't know everything about Melbourne and where to get stuff? How do you live as a Christian when your parents perhaps don't live in Melbourne? What a great, uh, a wonderful benefit to have people those two or three years ahead of you. That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. You're not too young to be a disciple and an example to others. So what are the temptations here? I think one of the temptations here can be, uh, depending on your personality, people-pleasing or harshness. The kind of the two ways you could go Uh, It might be someone who tends to dodge conflict, uh, therefore you don't want to have a hard conversation with a friend about something, uh, out of a desire to be nice, which is a lovely desire. However, perhaps you're the other side and you like to be in control and you're prone to harshness in your correction. Is there grace? It says this must be done in a spirit, a spirit of generosity and out of love. That's, that's the way we seek to disciple people. Not avoiding conflict. Not leading with your forehead. But graciously engaging and loving that person with God's word. We can also forget to model. I think I call this discipling at a distance. You can't do it, by the way. You can't disciple from a distance. You need to be engaged in someone's life. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself, he says, and your hearers. And your hearers. So you need to live it out. Model it. Not just keep it intellectually in your head. That's the means of discipleship. Uh, Thirdly, what's the goal of discipleship? Well, Paul states this at the end of verse 28. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In other words, the goal of discipleship is not just that disciples will become people who make other disciples, which is great. It's also that disciples will become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. And so true discipleship means taking an interest in your brothers and sisters 
walking through life with them, shepherding them, caring for them. Now, here's one of the challenges is you have so many things competing for your time. We have what's called an attention economy. Your phone will be pinging every five seconds. There'll be demands from your study and your work and your family. And the amount of time that we dedicate to to intentional discipleship gets pushed and pushed and pushed, and it's five minutes every second Thursday at 11 p.m. That's, that's, that's the nature of our culture. So you have to make it a priority. And relationships are inherently inefficient. Do you notice this? People are not efficient. It takes a while to get to know somebody. You can't just download them. Done. And it takes a while to build trust. And so we have to be very intentional if we want to grow people. I think we need to also work hard here to thinking about helping people understand why this is so important to mature as a Christian to grow. I think one of the dangers here is too that we contend towards moralism. Moralism says, don't be bad. Be good. And by the way, it's not bad advice by the way, (laughs) but that's not discipleship. Discipleship is not don't be bad. Discipleship is... Christ has died because you were bad. (laughs) So now live out your life as someone who's been forgiven and set free from sin. See, there's a difference there, isn't there? One isn't, don't be bad so you can be good. The gospel says, you can never be good. But Christ has made you good. So start living it out. It's understanding your identity as someone who is in Christ. Uh, And in Colossians 3, a bit later on, Paul will use this idea of a new self and a new self putting on new ways. And that's what discipleship is. It's taking off the old sinful ways and putting on the new ways because we are in Christ already. We belong to Jesus. Start acting like it, he says. And Paul often also uses the analogy of parenting. Uh, Good parents don't hand feed their children forever. Can you imagine if... You go home and your parents are still doing, did you do the aeroplane thing with you? Here comes the food. Woo! Mum, Dad, I'm, I'm at university now. I know. Here comes the aeroplane. Woo! It's embarrassing, right? Because that's what little kids need. And so in discipleship, it's about growing from new baby Christians, right? Here comes the aeroplane. To teaching people to be able to, to feed and know how to look at God's word themselves. There's a process there, right? It's growing and developing people. And therefore, a Christian disciple is someone who follows Christ and offers their life as an imitation, says, let me show you how to do it. I've been there before. It can be tough, but let me walk you through it. Now, I think one of the challenges we have, particularly in Melbourne, is we need more leaders. We need more gospel servants who are willing to go and do ministry. People like Larissa. People like Sam. So I'm just going to put it out there that maybe God will prompt you to think about what you can do with your life as a disciple, to be intentional, to think whether God is calling you to full-time discipleship ministry. So important.
That's the goal of, of discipleship. Fourthly, the cost of discipleship is toil and struggle. If you've been involved in any sort of discipleship or Christian ministry, you'll know how it's always fun and rewarding and there are no problems at all and everything happens. Everyone turns up, everybody RSVPs on Facebook like weeks in advance, isn't that right, Larissa? That's right. Months in advance. Uh, there's never any mess to clean up, relationships are always easy, right? Not true, right? We're laughing because it's so not true. Um, there are moments when it truly is, by the way, deeply and profoundly beautiful, but a lot of time it's tough. Here's a great joy from Uni Church. I remember once uh, we did nine baptisms in an evening outside. Nine baptisms. That was so exciting. That was the day when, you know, your feet barely touched the ground. But there are other ones where you come home from Sunday and you're just dragging your feet because you're exhausted. In other words, discipleship, like all valuable things, are costly, difficult and exciting all at the same time. Notice what Paul says. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend. That's what he's talking about when he's describing his ministry. Strenuously contend. The, the word there that's been translated as strenuously, it's so encouraging. It means to grow weary, tired, exhausted, and to labor with wearisome effort. Not a verse that people put on their, you know, their Bible. <laughs> The word for contend is often used to describe the painful exertion that goes into an athletic competition or a fist fight. Inspiring stuff, Paul. Why are you painting such a terrible picture? Or the old joke, you know, what's the difference? Uh, sorry, ministry is like fighting with a bear. You don't stop when you're tired, you stop when the bear's tired. Now, why does Paul then say he, he, that he's fought and he's laboured to the point of exhaustion? Firstly, to remind us that, that it is challenging, but that it's worth it. That it's worth it. It is such a beautiful thing when someone comes to follow Jesus. It is such a beautiful thing when we say baptisms at church, nine, one, three, whatever the number. When someone grows in the knowledge of Jesus, when, when that penny drops on some key theological thing, oh, I understand Jesus just that, that, that little bit more. And the challenge is that our culture loves, loves comfort and ease of life. And that to be uncomfortable or strained means that something is wrong, right? How dare life be difficult? How dare discipleship be hard? Brothers and sisters, know that you own a spiritual battle. That's the language that the Bible uses, a spiritual battle. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, right, come follow me. Do you know what he says? Pick up your what and follow me? Your cross. Your cross. Not a comfortable lifestyle and follow me. That would be much more exciting, right? Ephesians 6 says, put on the what of God? The woody of God, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Ooh, so comfy and warm. The armour of God. Why do you need armour? Because someone is trying to do you harm. And it, so it's naive to think that discipleship is easy and nice and that it won't be. With, it will be with challenges. 
And it will be tough because Jesus is saying you take up your cross and you put on the armor because following Christ is so gloriously above anything else. It is by nature costly and we know this because we look at Jesus and what do we see? Follow me, he says, I gave up my life for you. That's the call. By the way, this is not a call to burn out. It's a call to persevere. To realise that it can be hard, but it's worth it. That you will face opposition, perhaps even from family and friends, but it's worth it. That's the cost of discipleship. And so fifthly, what about the power of discipleship? Well, it's God's spirit. The Great Commission, Jesus gives the Great Commission on top of a mountain. And what's really interesting, if you go through the Bible and look at all the times we see mountains and things happening on mountains, it's amazing. There's often earthquakes, lightning and smoke, and it's, it's all action. It's action-packed. But we need to remember that the mission field that is given to the disciples is not on the mountaintop. It's not one spiritual high after the other. Their mission is down in the valley in the real world. They're sent down the mountain to do their discipleship in a world that is both beautiful and broken. For people who are desperate, uh, filled with people who are desperate from hope, desperate for hope. That's the world that we, we work in as disciples. And so if you're in the discipleship uh, making business, you're going to need something supernatural to keep you going because it's going to be hard. It can feel overwhelming because there are often so few mountaintop experiences. And the answer is rely on the beautiful gift of God's spirit. Verse 29. To this end, says Paul, I strive, uh, I, I strenuously contend, then he says, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So he's not talking about how, how good a guy he is. I strive, uh, I strenuously contend with all the energy I've acquitted through years of ministry as an apostle, or through my wisdom, or through my fitness regime, whatever it is that, that Paul's got going on, right? It's entirely without Christ empowering his ministry by his spirit. Because discipleship does take a lot of energy, by the way. It's, remember we said it's, it can be inefficient because it's involving people. But the good news is that our Lord Jesus gives us his energy. He gives us his spirit. We toil and struggle, yet we have Jesus to depend upon. And so no matter how experienced or inexperienced you are, know that this is not something you do by yourself. You have God's spirit. That's his promise. You serve and contend with his spirit. I love uh, what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. He says He talks about discipleship making it as, as like planting, now Sam's much better at plants, I'm terrible at plants, but he gets, he says, I planted the seed, somebody else watered the seed, that's the discipleship, but he says, God gave the growth. That's the spirit at work. And it's such an encouragement, because if you're like me, I, I go one of two ways. Uh, pride or guilt, depending on how things are going, right? Uh, pride, my ministry is going great. 
I must be a legend at this. The best vicar it has ever had, right? What, aren't they lucky to have me? Or the other way. My ministry is so great a disaster. I must be a failure. I am the worst vicar St. Jude's has ever had. Pride or guilt? Both times I'm failing to trust in God's strength and the gift of his spirit. And so what it means is that if you are seeking to come and follow Jesus, which I hope you are, it means to be dependent upon him as much as it means to follow him. See, disciples are actually ordinary people, very ordinary people who follow an extraordinary God. That's what makes discipleship work. Ordinary people who follow an extraordinary God. And this is, of course, most powerfully expressed when we pray. So if you are keen to come follow me, to follow Jesus, to be someone who seeks to encourage others in discipleship, you must be praying. Because prayer says, look, Jesus, I can't do this. (laughs) I'm very ill-equipped. I'm out of my depth. It's above my pay grade. I need your help. And so we must pray. We must pray that as the gospel is proclaimed, people from all nations become followers of Jesus. And we must pray that as the gospel is proclaimed and as, as God's word is opened, people grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus and that it, it leaks out into the behaviour and their character. And you see fundamentally people changed and grown to become more like Jesus. And we must pray that God will keep raising up disciples who will seek to make uh, their life set apart for gospel work. For we need people to go and reach the lost and lead churches and go to our universities and preach the gospel. And most of all, we need to pray that God will be glorified. Because at the heart of discipleship, that is what it is. It's all about giving God glory. So let me pray that we would do that as a church. We would seek to powerfully follow Jesus for his glory and in his strength. Gracious Father, we thank you that Jesus actually calls us amazingly to follow him. That you graciously include us in your plans with all our weaknesses and our sin, that your spirit works powerfully through us. We pray that in all things we will keep Jesus at the heart of all we do as we seek to follow him. For his glory and name we pray. Amen.